Good evening and welcome to Transverse News, your weekly LGBT and trans news source here on the Transverse. Florida Senate Bill SB 254 was recently amended to add gender-affirming medical care under the definition of serious physical harm and thus gives the state power to take physical custody of a child or their sibling if one of them is receiving gender care. So what this does is this adds to the definition of what is considered serious physical harm to a child under the statute that allows the state to step in. This also applies to children who have received quote unquote sex reassignment prescriptions or procedures in the past. The bill also includes puberty blockers in this, but with the clarification that it's only if the blockers were administered to quote, affirm a person's perception of his or her sex, if that perception is inconsistent with the person's sex, unquote, and what they mean by there, there is determined at birth. So again, we're seeing these provisions where this bill is only meant to discriminate against trans people. And so other people who take the same medication for the same overall reason, but not pertaining to being transgender, they can still have the medication and still receive it. And there's no problem there. It's only if you're trans that this bill applies. This means that separated parents who don't affirm their child's gender identity could win full custody of the child in disputes and that the parents who affirm the child could be subject to child abuse charges if they seek care for their transgender child. The bill also requires that doctors submit a signed attestation that their office does not offer or provide gender care prescriptions or procedures. The bill is on the docket for a floor vote during its third reading very soon. During the debate for HB 1421, which would criminalize trans people who use public restrooms, Republican Representative Webster Barnaby laid out his anti-trans bigotry for all to see. He started by equating the time we're living in with the X-Men movies and compared trans people to mutants who don't belong on Earth. He went on to equate dysphoria with societal dysfunction and took his stance against both, quoted a section of the Bible about Satan and his minions, and then flat out called trans people demons and imps vowing to fight against us. So this is Webster Barnaby, who is a Republican representative in Florida. This is definitely somebody that we need to take a big stance against because he doesn't believe we belong on earth. So not a great person. And more kind of dark times news, Tennessee State Representatives Jones, Pearson, and Johnson led a protest last week into the Tennessee House chamber to push the body to move forward on meaningful gun legislation in the wake of the recent school shooting that left three adults and three children dead. Jones and Pearson were both expelled from service for bringing, quote, disorder and dishonor to the House of Representatives, unquote, in a vote that split along party lines, but still gave the two-thirds majority needed to remove them. Jones claimed that he and the other lawmakers were blocked in their attempts to bring the discussion of gun legislation to the House floor, having their microphones cut any time they tried to raise the subject. He and his colleagues joined the protests outside and eventually led them into the chamber to force the chamber to recognize the public outcry on the matter. The resolutions to expel the House members stated that they, quote, began shouting without recognition, unquote, and, quote, proceeded to disrupt the proceedings of the House of Representatives, unquote. 
Jones and Pearson, the two representatives ousted from their seats, are black. And the third member to join the protest, Gloria Johnson, a white woman, was not booted, leading to calls that the expulsions were racially motivated. Jones responded that the removal of he and his colleague were, quote, a very grave day for democracy and a very dangerous precedent was set not just for Tennessee, but for the nation. He continued, quote, this is attacking democracy on so many different levels. And then to refuse to seat us after expelling us, this is saying that Tennessee is on the border or is already facing authoritarianism, unquote. Now, as the House focuses on proceedings to replace the two representatives, local lawmakers in the districts Pearson and Jones represent are working hard to get them reinstated. The majority of the Nashville Metropolitan Council have voted to send Justin Jones back to the Tennessee legislature. Council member Jeff Syracuse stated in an email to NBC News that no elected official in the state of Tennessee has ever been expelled for breaking decorum rules. Expulsion is an egregious act of disenfranchising the voters who duly elected state representative Jones. So a lot going on in Tennessee, y'all. This has major ramifications for democracy across the country. As we reported last week, the newly formed Don't Legislate Hate Political Action Committee is in full swing and now has begun seeking contributions on actblue.com. When asked about the new PAC, founder Michaela Cavanaugh said, we've been hearing an outpouring from people in Nebraska and across the country wanting to know how they can support what we are doing and what steps to take to be activated. She continued, and so we decided that this was a good step in the right direction to start a political action committee so that we can support candidates and the conversation to stop this type of legislation across the country and definitely here at home in Nebraska. You can go to actblue.com and search for Don't Legislate Hate to start donating now. Twitter has labeled NPR as state-affiliated media in a move that NPR CEO John Lansing calls unacceptable. Lansing stated, we were disturbed to see last night that Twitter has labeled NPR as state affiliated media, a description that per Twitter's own guidelines does not apply to NPR. And he was correct. As late as Tuesday night, NPR was explicitly labeled in Twitter guidelines as an organization that would not be labeled as state affiliated media. However, on Wednesday, as outcry began to grow around this false classification, people noticed that Twitter had quietly removed NPR from that policy documentation. According to the policy, state-affiliated media is defined as outlets where the state exercises control over editorial content through financial resources, direct or indirect political pressures, and or control over production and distribution. NPR is an independent nonprofit media outlet and while they do receive funding from the federal government, whether a Republican or Democrat is in office, that amount makes up less than 1% of the total funding for the organization. Twitter's former head of trust and safety criticized the move. He said in a statement that Twitter's decision, quote, to label NPR as a state media outlet flies in the face of years of research, all evidence that NPR's funding and governance and Twitter's own policies and principles. When White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked for comment, she defended NPR's reputation for independence, stating, there is no doubt of the independence of NPR journalists. If you have ever been on the receiving end of their questions, you know this. It's a very bizarre sort of political move for Elon Musk to label them as state-affiliated media and thus essentially take away their credibility as an independent news source. 
there should be some libel or slander rules that go into effect here, but we'll have to see what happens. Author Suzanne Seddon, known for her gender critical stance and COVID-19 conspiracy theories, has now come under a great deal of fire for her ignorant and misogynist tweet insinuating that Daniel Radcliffe's wife is trans. The tweet shows Radcliffe and his wife, Erin Dark, who in the photo appears a couple inches taller than the Harry Potter star. The Pink News writes that this transphobic conspiracy theory reveals most clearly that transphobia is not actually about protecting women or championing women. We've seen a growing number of instances where cisgender women are harassed, attacked, and even beaten because they don't meet the patriarchy's view of what a woman should be, and thus they are assumed to be trans. Pink News continues that, quote, it's about eradication of difference and relies on pushing prescriptive and oppressive standards of beauty and appearance that no one, not cisgender women, not trans women, can ever match up to, unquote. On Twitter, writer Gina Martin tweeted, Suzanne brilliantly demonstrates here exactly how transphobia is also based in misogyny, how it's all about unattainable and oppressive standards, and actually nothing to do with trans women at all. On the flip side of this anti-feminist uproar targeting cisgender women, we also have the trans TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney, who has received a ton of backlash and physical criticism after she got some small paid post deals from Nike and Bud Light. People are attacking her, have called her flat chested and her online persona, quote, a cheap caricature of girlhood, unquote. After she received free leggings and a sports bra from Nike, she was accused of, quote, stealing, unquote, sponsorships away from, quote, real women, unquote. Anti-trans rhetoric is just highlighting how pervasive misogyny is in our culture and how standards of whether a girl looks feminine enough are still being used to subjugate women and force them into an unrealistic mold and teach them to hate themselves entirely if they don't fit. And this is being couched in this anti-trans debate. We're seeing it come up in, in this anti-trans movement, but it has a real effect on cisgender women as well. So all of all of us who are women in the United States are facing this. And it's really something we need to take major steps to push back against because it's a negative thing for everyone. North Dakota sets a dubious record for the most anti-LGBTQ plus bills passed in one day. The state Senate passed all 10 bills on Monday, April 3rd, with eight now headed to the desk of North Dakota's Republican Governor Doug Burgum, where they will either be signed into law or vetoed. Two have been returned to the state's House of Representatives after amendments were added. The raft of horrifying legislation includes bans on trans students joining sports teams that match their gender identity, sweeping bans on gender-affirming healthcare for young people, and a ban on public drag performances. Alarmingly, a bill also advancing would see the removal of trans individuals from state data collection, so they wouldn't even collect data on trans people. The passing of 10 anti-LGBTQ plus bills represents the most legislation of its kind advanced in a single day, according to the Human Rights Campaign. North Dakota State Senator Ryan Braunberger, a Democrat and out gay man, denounced the wave of anti-LGBTQ plus bills being put forward during a stirring Senate speech in which he recalled how he tried to take his own life in his youth. He says, I was lucky to survive that suicide attempt to be here, but many others have not and will not. The politician added that if bills were to be passed, kids like me across the state will feel like the world is against them. They'll eventually feel like they can 
no longer go on. He also put out a tweet that said, visibility is important and so are you. Visibility is important. He reiterates there, April 3rd was not a good day for LGBT rights in North Dakota. LGBTQ plus advocates, including the HRC, have denounced the bills claiming that North Dakota's most vulnerable residents will, quote, pay the price, unquote, for their actions of these extremist legislators. Catherine Oakley, a state legislative director and senior counsel of HRC, said it's shameful yet not surprising that instead of spending their day attempting to tackle the real issues facing North Dakota, extremist legislators were working vigorously to rile up the far fringes of their base. And now some of the most marginalized constituents could pay the price. A restraining order on the Tennessee drag ban has been extended by the federal judge. Federal Judge Thomas Parker has ruled to block Senate Bill 3, Tennessee's drag ban bill. His ruling came at the end of March and was based on his opinion that the statute was too broad to be enforced as written. The bill was already under a restraining order when Judge Parker moved to extend the order through May 26th. Memphis theater company Friend of George's, who brought the original suit against the drag ban, has rejoiced over the win and vowed to continue their fight against what they call an unjust law. SB3 is the bill that labels drag as adult performance and equates it to stripping, thus making it illegal for kids to be present, for it to be performed in public, or for it to be performed within 300 meters of a church or school. So a small victory, and we'll talk a little bit more about that one and other victories here in a second. Aaron in the Morning put out a great piece about the court victories we've had in Indiana, Tennessee, and West Virginia as the momentum slows in the fight to remove the rights of transgender Americans. First up, she talks about a victory in the Midwest. In Indiana, a teacher who refused to comply with a new law requiring teachers to use preferred pronouns and the name of trans students hired attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom, an organization that has been instrumental in the crafting of many anti-trans bills. His case, which reached the Seventh Circuit Court, which ultimately ruled that teachers don't have, quote, the right to misgender, unquote, students. The court also ruled that refusing to comply with trans-inclusive policies impose an undue burden and cause harm to trans students. Next, Aaron mentions the story that we just talked about in the restraining order on the drag ban in Tennessee, she quoted the ruling of the judge where he says, states are laboratories of democracy that can test laws and policies enacted by the people. And that the United States constitution, a law that is supreme even to the Tennessee General Assembly's acts has placed some issues beyond the reach of the democratic process. First among them is the freedom of speech. Thus, he was putting gender expression and drag performance in the category of free speech. Lastly, Aaron cites the fact that the Supreme Court voted 7-2 to allow a trans girl to continue playing sports in West Virginia while a trans sports ban worked its way up the appeal process. Aaron wraps the article saying that, quote, dozens of lawsuits are currently progressing throughout the United States with virtually every gender affirming care ban facing scrutiny. The ACLU has already filed a lawsuit in Indiana and pledged to pursue more in other states. Historically, lawsuits involving transgender issues have often resulted in favorable outcomes for plaintiffs who were challenging them as discriminatory. Gender-affirming care bans in Arkansas and Alabama are presently blocked in court due to previous lawsuits. Democrats have claimed a huge win as they 
took over the Supreme Court majority after a nasty race in Wisconsin. Judge Janet Protasiewicz was elected to the Wisconsin Supreme Court in a nasty race that saw a whopping $800,000 spent on anti-trans ads and pamphlets distributed to voters across the state. LGBTQ plus activists are calling this a major victory as it swings the judicial body to a liberal majority for the first time in 15 years. She won out against Judge Daniel Kelly, whose anti-LGBTQ views are well known. His opinion on the 2013 Supreme Court decision in favor of gay marriage was that it would, quote, rob the institution of marriage of any discernible meaning, unquote. Prosasowicz earned endorsements from many LGBTQ plus organizations as well as orgs who support bodily autonomy, including Human Rights Campaign and Planned Parenthood. In response to the support, she was quoted as saying, I am honored to be endorsed by the Human Rights Campaign, which has been at the forefront of the fight for fairness and equality. The stakes of this election are high and we need a Supreme Court that upholds the constitutional rights of every Wisconsinite. Anti-trans groups like American Principles Project ran attack ads and sent alarming text messages to voters. One of them claiming that Protosewis wanted to trans the children of Wisconsin. Aaron Reed reported that in 2022 elections, right-wing groups spent upwards of $50 million on anti-trans attack ads throughout the US. This win here in the face of more of those lies and hate shows further evidence that the anti-trans rhetoric is slipping as a strategy and no longer serving to fire up the Republican base the way it used to. This begs the question, could it be that attacking trans and LGBTQ plus people is actually a losing political strategy? We'll have to wait for the answer to that, um, considering that Donald Trump, the figurehead of another political movement people say has lost its luster, has doubled down on his anti-trans rhetoric and his promises. A new poll from Data for Progress regarding transgender people and the more than 430 bills legislating um, the rights of trans people gives very interesting insights into voter perceptions across the country. The poll surveyed 1,220 likely voters asking what they think about the legislative onslaught against trans people. The study found that the vast majority of voters see these bills as government overreach and feel that, that politicians are just using them as political theater to divide the country. This is even true of Republican voters with 55% saying it's theater versus 33% feeling that the bills address a real danger. The survey also sheds a great deal of light on why 33% of Republicans and 25% of voters overall feel the legislation is necessary. It asked respondents to estimate the number of people who are trans and what percentage of those experience regret after surgery and found that respondents dramatically overestimated in all cases. For what percentage of adults identifying identify as trans or non-binary, respondents guessed 21% versus the reality of closer to 1.6%. For people 30 and under who identify as trans, they, they guessed 25% when the reality is closer to 5%. Lastly, they assumed the number of people who regret gender surgery was 29%, when as we've talked here at length, it's uh, a very, very low number. And this survey put the actual number somewhere between 1% and 8%. When it comes to the perceived threat of the threat level of increased transgender visibility, the numbers get really interesting. If respondents did not know a trans person, the majority, fully 45%, felt that increased trans visibility posed a threat to children. But even among respondents who knew a trans person, that number was still 27%.
So there's something to be dealt with there where, where there's a perception that the visibility of trans people is somehow an, a, a, a very negative thing for the children in our country. And, and that's a perception that drastically needs to change if we're ever going to ensure that we have rights here as trans people in America. The poll conclusion states that, quote, our polling reveals that Republican politicians advocating for anti-LGBTQ plus legislation are out of step with the American electorate. Likely voters oppose this legislation and are willing to support Democratic politicians who directly fight it. However, despite the progress made in trans rights and increased visibility of trans people in American society, many Americans remain uninformed about trans people. Anti-trans activists exploit this lack of awareness to push discriminatory legislation. New Jersey is the latest state to become a safe haven for gender-affirming care in the United States. Democratic Governor Phil Murphy signed an executive order securing a person's right to gender-affirming care on Tuesday. The order directs all state agencies to protect people in New Jersey from being persecuted for obtaining or providing transition-related care and reinforces anti-discrimination protections for trans people, including for incarcerated people. The order also forbids state departments from complying with investigations and subpoenas from other states that seek to prosecute those who travel to New Jersey to obtain gender-affirming care. In a press release, Murphy emphasized the importance of the order given the, the wave of anti-trans bills in states nationwide. He's quoted as saying, as leaders, our greatest responsibility is ensuring that every person we represent, regardless of their gender identity or gender expression, is entitled to respect, fairness, and freedom. We continue to uphold these principles in New Jersey and support every person's right to, fr to live freely and authentically by making our state a safe haven for those seeking or providing gender-affirming health care. New Jersey-based trans youth activist Rebecca Brucehoff said in a press release that the order gives her hope. I have always been grateful to live in New Jersey, but I am especially proud to see my state take action that will protect and support not only me, but my friends in states across the country. Transgender kids and teens like me just want to live our lives and be ourselves. So great move by New Jersey to join California and Minnesota as safe havens for trans people and gender affirming care. Pink News put out an article about three common anti-trans myths easily debunked by science. Anti-trans sentiment continues to bombard the UK, US and further afield. Some of the loudest voices would have others believe that trans people are new and unnatural. They will regret transitioning and are destroying the pillars of society. They claim the existence of trans people ignores, quote, basic biology. Some of the same people who try to deny trans rights based on, quote, the science also deny the fact that humans drive global climate change and spread misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines and things like that. They aren't dealing in facts and their anti-trans rhetoric is rooted in harmful beliefs. Myth number one, being trans is a social phenomenon sweeping through younger generations. The widely discredited trans social contagion theory can be traced to a 2018 paper published by Lisa Littman, a former professor at Brown University who now serves as an advisor to gender critical group GenSpect. Littman coined the term rapid onset gender dysphoria, which we have had to deal with uh, for a long time since then, which some anti-trans proponents have used to suggest trans adolescents, particularly trans boys, aren't trans but are simply lesbians or girls with mental health issues who declare themselves to be trans after exposure to so-called external influence. However, a study published in the journal Pediatrics in 2022 
found that the social contagion isn't supported by real world data. By analyzing data from two CDC surveys conducted in 2017 and 2019, it found a small drop in the number of young people identifying as trans. It also found that the proportion of young people assigned female at birth who have come out as trans fell slightly. The sex assigned at birth ratio of transgender adolescents in the United States does not appear to favor assigned female at birth, birth adolescents and should not be used to argue against the provision of gender affirming medical care to transgender adolescents, the study concluded. What has increased in recent decades is trans visibility. It's a sign that society is becoming more accepting uh, as rising number of trans people feel they can live openly and receive support, including gender affirming care. Let's move on to myth number two, trans people regret transitioning. Detransitioning means stopping or reversing transition, which can include social or medical transition or both. There are people who detransition and there are a variety of reasons that can be behind such decisions, including transphobia, family pressure, and non-affirming environments. Gender critical voices often use stories of detransition to suggest young people shouldn't be affirmed in their transition or be allowed to access gender affirming care. But recent guidelines by the World Professional Association for Transgender Health says several studies show that there are low rates of patient regret and high rates of patient satisfaction with gender affirming treatments and surgeries for trans people. Separately, a 2019 survey of 3,398 attendees of a gender identity clinic in the UK found that just 16, only 0.47% experienced transition-related regret. Of these, even fewer went on to detransition. Additionally, a North American study found that 94% of children who came out as trans continue to identify as trans five years later. Approximately 1.3% of young people transitioned to another identity before returning to their trans identity while 2.5% later identified as cisgender and 3.5% as non-binary. Myth number three, trans people, particularly trans women participating in sports hurts cis women. The reality is that trans and non-binary women have been playing sports, whether it's in schools, clubs, or leagues for years without any unfair advantages or issues. But legislation to exclude trans people, particularly women and girls from participating in athletics has been brought forward in several states across the US. Several sports governing bodies worldwide have investigated trans bans in recent years over concerns around quote unquote fairness. Lawmakers championing trans sports bans have continuously failed to cite cases in their states where trans athletes by and far had advantages over cisgender counterparts. A recent report found that transgender women don't have any advantages over their cis peers while participating in elite sport. Commissioned by the Canadian Center for Ethics and Sport, the report is a, an in-depth review of all scientific literature published between 2011 and 2021 in English regarding trans women and their participation in elite level sports. The author, authors concluded that these studies show little evidence that factors relating to male puberty, such as lung size and bone density, produce an advantage for trans athletes and that trans women who have begun testosterone suppression have no clear biological advantage. The report did find strong evidence that elite sport policy is made within trans misogynistic, racist, geopolitical, cultural norms. Additional research found the role testosterone plays in trans eligibility rules in athletics is often exaggerated as the hormone has little impact on performance differences. Trans sports bans do nothing to protect or support girls and women in sports. That's because while there are real issues facing women's sports, including equal pay, racism, and rampant sexual assault and harassment, 
trans participation in athletics isn't one of the issues. Bans push kids and young people away from the life-changing power of sport. It, de it deprives them of the invaluable lessons that taking part teaches as well as the benefits that physical activity has on mental and physical health. A photo of an all-trans football team named Truck, capital T, capital R, capital U, capital K, United FC, has racked up millions of views online, sending a message to young trans people everywhere. This is a story again from Pink News. The Truck United Football Club's all-trans mask team played its inaugural match, the first of its kind in European history, on Trans Day of Visibility, March 31st. About 500 supporters were at Champion Hill Stadium to watch the team play Dulwich Hamlet FC. And while the trans mask team didn't go home victorious, they lost eight to one. A photograph of the moment they celebrated their goal quickly went viral on social media. The image, which features nearly the entire team, has been viewed millions of times across Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. This picture has over 4 million views on Twitter, um, according to the Truck um, Football Club post here. Yes, 4 million. Surely the most iconic photo of the season? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. This beats 99% of all Premier League club views. Amazing stats. And that is pretty inc incredible to get 4 million views overall on a, a photo of this kind. So that is rad and that is wonderful for trans visibility. It was taken by Lucy Copsey, a photographer who plays for Truck United's women's team. Speaking to Pink News, Copsey said, she was snapping away when Parker Dunn found the back of, of the net saying it was luck that the team ran in her direction. I remember looking at it straight away and thinking how good it was.